from Selma, Alabama. Would you please welcome storyteller, Miss Catherine Tucker Windham? I can't believe I'm 92, and but I am. And uh, my father said to me, but he says, since when you're building your life, the most important things are the four L's. And the first L is listening. And it's a rare thing these days, listening, listening to the human voice, listening to one person talking to another person, listening. We have forgotten how to listen, how to sit down and talk and have a good time listening. My daddy said, listen, God gave you two ears and one mouth, and he expected you to use them in that proportion. <laughs> and the next L is learning. You have to learn something different all your life. Don't ever quit learning and laughing is the third L, he said. We've all got to laugh. Laugh at ourselves. Laugh at something every day. The world is a magical, wonderful place, he says. But we need to laugh together. Don't laugh at people, my father said. You laugh with people. And you can never hate anyone you've really laughed with. Laughter binds people together. The most important L is loving. Loving. So God put us here to love each other, to enjoy each other, to help each other, to laugh together, to learn together, to listen together, but to love each other. And there's nothing that says I love you more pleasantly and more plainly than storytelling. Everybody here has stories that you need to tell and now is the time to do it. Tell stories and tell each one with love, ending with, I love you, I love you, thank you. Thanks to Catherine Tuckin Windham, speaking at the 2010 Alabama Storytelling Festival at 92 years old about the importance of stories. I am Pat Spaulding filling in for Amy Antonucci, who's had her second shot today, is not feeling up to uh, being our usual host. And I'm here to welcome you to True Tales Live Zoom show on May 25th, 2021. Thanks to those who are watching and listening, and especially to those here in our live online audience. Our mission at True Tales Live is to provide a space for people to tell their first person experience stories, stories that reflect our community's personal and cultural diversity and help us bridge differences and understanding and respect for each other. We're happy to be here with you, even on Zoom. And we do have some suggestions for making the most of this online format. Since um, we, believe that storytelling is an exchange between tellers and listeners, here's how you can help us. You can help us by um, keeping your video on so that we can, and having big physical reactions in order to connect with the rest of the audience and tellers. So if you're surprised, something kind of exaggerated like, or um, if something is sad, you know, you could even Ham it up. You can be melodramatic. It's only a postage stamp, which I think I'm only on a postage stamp. I think maybe I'm supposed to be larger, but that's okay. <laughs> Express your reactions also in the chat box, um, which we save and we'll share with the tellers later. We also will draw a few questions from that to answer after the stories, because you'll have the opportunity to 
talk directly with the tellers about their story or um, something about storytelling, whatever you would like to ask them in the Q&A. Tonight's show has the theme of blunders. <laughs> we'll hear stories from Beth LaMontagne, Hall, Kathy Wolf, and Jackson Gilman. So I believe we will now get going. We're going to start it off by asking Beth to step up onto the stage, and I'll do a little introduction. Beth LaMontagne Hall is a freelance writer based in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and host of the podcast and live storytelling series, Long Story Short. Her favorite activities are making to-do lists, reading self-help books, and listening to psychedelic rock. <laughs> okay, then. Beth's story tonight takes place in the 1990s when she was going to music school in Miami, playing the trumpet with a like-minded tuba player. <laughs> a like-minded trumpet and tuba player definitely piqued my interest. What could possibly be cooler than that, except perhaps the fact that they're both women? Let's hear more in Beth's story, Coolest Girls in the World. All right, Beth, step right up. Hi, nice to see everybody. Okay, so I'm not sure if you've ever thought about this, but there aren't a lot of women trumpet players in the world. And as few female trumpet players there are, there are even fewer women tuba players. But that's what my friend Lori and I were, two friends, one trumpet player, that was me, and one tuba player, two of only a handful of women in the University of Miami brass department. Lori and I met <clears throat> at school in Coral Gables in the fall of 1995 when I was a freshman. We were hanging out at a late night coffee shop and the two of us bonded over jelly donuts and our favorite grunge bands and being Northeasterners totally out of our element in South Florida. If you've never been to music school, which very few people have, it really is completely different from regular liberal arts education. The schedule is extremely intense with ensembles and classes and practicing all day into the evenings and sometimes late at night. It's also super loose, so you don't have the typical sit down and listen to a professor lecture sort of environment. It's more idiosyncratic music musicians functioning as these sort of mentors on how to improve your musical skills. The vibe is kind of like working in a restaurant kitchen is the best way I could describe it. And it being the 90s, people weren't really as um, aware as they are now about things that you shouldn't say in an educational setting, hence the looseness of the you know, classroom. And there were always a lot of inappropriate jokes and unfortunately a lot of dismissive comments. Uh, things like telling me that I played pretty good for a girl. So it was a bit of a challenge and a little bit of an adjustment, but Lori got all this BS and she got me. And somehow she, being a couple years older than me, had learned to figure it out. 
She was in all the best ensembles. The professors loved her. Uh, she even drove a white 1976 Chrysler Cordoba that I thought was particularly cool. And when I was feeling adrift, Lori was my life raft. We moved in together uh, during the winter of 1997, landing an apartment in South Miami with beautiful views of the mall and the Snapper Creek Expressway. Uh, but we didn't care. We were psyched to land a place that was clean, relatively free of weirdos and uh, had a pool, which was a huge bonus. Apartment life was pretty sweet. We had very little money. So we uh, spent our weekend nights often uh, making comfort food in my 1970s crock pot, uh, watching The Simpsons, uh, drinking cheap beer. We took trips uh, to the Everglades to go uh, have our picture taken with baby alligators at the alligator farm and uh, buy cheap cigarettes. And we often stayed up late talking about our dream of moving to New York City. The thing about Lori was that she was a bit of a mystery to me. Um, she didn't let on about her personal life very much. And then there were often times, well, once in a while, she'd lock herself in a room uh, and stay there for a day or two. And when she'd come out, I'd say, are you okay? And she'd just wave me off as if everything was fine. And then there were times when she'd swing the other way where she'd be up for days and she'd ping pong around the apartment and it was kind of hard to keep up with her. I tried not to worry about this behavior, uh, even though I had found some mysterious pill bottles in the medicine cabinet because she said she was okay and she was doing okay at school. And she definitely did not want to talk to me about it. So I took this to be, we were friends, but not that close of friends. So, I mean, I got, I got that feeling. Um, I didn't like letting my guard down either. I was acting like school was a breeze when inside it was kind of killing me. Uh, Miami is a place where, um, you know, you have to lock your car all the time and be on guard. And it's a place where ma money matters a lot. Um, and I didn't have any of that. And my parents didn't have any to give me. And uh, I get really bummed out because I had to pay all this money to rent and to school and parking. And there were times when the only food in, I in the house was limeade and instant cream of wheat, which is pretty disgusting. So on top of all of this, drama and life, I decided that I would challenge myself and take jazz piano. Now, I didn't know how to play jazz piano. And my professor, when he discovered this from hearing me play, uh, openly mocked me during class as to how bad I was. Um, so I did the only sensible thing there was to do in a situation like this, which is to skip class all the time. And by the end of semester, I realized that I was likely gonna fail this class uh, unless I did something about it. So I hit the woodshed. I spent uh, afternoons pounding out these chord progressions over and over. And by the time the final rolled around, I was feeling pretty good. Uh, I went to the test, <clears throat> I sat down 
And my professor looked at me and said, are you ready? There was something about those three words that made my mind go totally blank. All the practice I had done was out the window. And no matter how hard I tried to play these notes, it was like my fingers were numb. And the harder I tried, the more mistakes I would make. Then the worst possible thing happened. I started to cry. My professor sighed. That's enough, he said. And I left the room totally devastated. When Lori got home to our apartment, she found me lying on the couch despondent and I just broke down. I told her what had happened and that I was sick of this stupid place and these stupid people and I suck at everything. Why was I even here? After I got all this off my chest, I figured that Lori and I would turn on the TV and watch some Oprah as we were known to do in the afternoons. But instead she said, let's go get something to eat. But this being the end of the semester, I didn't have any money. So I said, I can't, I'm broke. And she said, don't worry about that, I'll buy. And when I hesitated, she looked at me and said, Beth, I can't let you eat cream of wheat for dinner again. So we headed to our favorite spot at the time, which was the IHOP. And we ordered breakfast samplers with pancakes and bacon and just every breakfast food imaginable poured on top with maple syrup. And it was glorious. We talked about Lori's next gig and, you know, gossiped about our friends and who was hooking up. And after dinner, we got in the Cordoba. We rolled down the windows and nestled into that fine Corinthian leather. Lori gave me a cigarette and I blasted the salsa station. As we cruised down South Dixie Highway back to our apartment, we were the coolest girls in the world. Thank you. Thanks, Beth. Um, <laughs> I kind of wish I'd been there doing cool things like that in a band. All righty, next up. Um, oh, and just reminder, if you've got questions or comments for Beth that we will get to later, just put them in the chat so that you remember. Next up, we have Kathy Wolf. She lives in Kittery, Maine. She's a retired editor and writer who these days keeps busy tending dahlias and garlic, composing, but not always sending angry letters <laughs> to the editor and distributing fish on Fridays for New Hampshire community seafood. When I first read Kathy's bio information after seeing dahlias and garlic, I read composting instead of composing. And, um, I, as it happens, would like to, you to know that Kathy's also a very talented composter of plants, as well as a composer of words. Tonight, she'll share a few words about the aging process, something many of us are <laughs> blundering into right now. Let's slide into her story. Is it all downhill from here? Okay, Kathy, take it. 
I'm flat on my back in a graveyard before my time, and I can't get up. This is what happens when you try cross-country skiing after several years of not trying skiing, and when you decide to try it alone, and when you fail, okay, refuse to seriously acknowledge that your body is not what it used to be. You fall down, and that's what happened. I've had warnings. The most challenging and embarrassing part of yoga practice these days is getting up off the mat. Getting down is not very pretty either. So this challenge of defying gravity and reclaiming my species God-given right, God-given upright position is not new to me. It is, however, right now, compounded uh, by having six foot long sticks attached to my feet. And I'm on a hill. It's a small hill, but I'm in the middle of it and completely uncertain how to use it to assist my ascent. Of course, I could jimmy the pole around and try to stab a release of the boots from the skis, but it took maybe 10 minutes to get the darn things into the fittings. I think they were stiff from lack of use. I don't wanna go through that again. I blame the pandemic for being here alone. Well, I guess there are a lot of other things besides COVID that I could blame for being alone, including my own choices, no partner, rugged independence. But the pandemic experts, constant advice to get safe, healthy outdoor exercise made me last November take these skis and poles and boots out of the basement where they had been rather nicely and calmly gathering dust for several years. Quietly, I also was hoping if I started skiing, I could get rid of the COVID-20 I'd collected around my middle after months of hunkering down at home. So I put the skis and the poles and the boots next to the front door in the front hall where I would see them every day and where they gathered more dust through several snowfalls. Finally, in late February, that time of year when we all hope each snow is the last, but no, it's not, I figured I'd give it a try. When I pulled on the boots, first checking for spiders, and laced them up, they felt small, but maybe my toenails needed clipping. And then I had to take them off because I'd forgotten to first put on those shin covering things, those, those, you know, the gaiters, the gaiters, right? So I fuss a while over whether it's a double glove and which hat to pull on and if I should wear an extra sweater. Oh dear, such old lady worries, I think, while I'm driving to the cemetery. Cemetery is a big, rambling, slightly hilly, very well populated place. I struggled to get the boots attached to the skis, but I already told you that. And then finally, I start down just a small, a really small slope. My head gets in front of my feet. My poles aren't quite sure how to help. I overcompensate and my feet now are definitely in front of my head. And in one more second, I'm on my back on the ground. I mean, I never was a really good cross-country skier, but I liked it. Downhill always struck me as completely insane, hurling yourself down a mountain. But I enjoy the motion of cross-country. I love the swish, swish, swishing sound, the woodsy trails. And I especially like 
thinking that falling probably wouldn't cause much damage. I never considered the ego damage that one day I might face. I try lifting the skis to get them to, into at least a parallel position over my head and then down to the side, but no luck. They keep crossing over each other or burrowing into the snow, acting like they have a mind or maybe two minds of their own. Do I look like a tortoise on its shell? Probably not as graceful since a tortoise has just these little legs to swing around in the air uselessly. And here I am with long wooden appendages flailing above and beside me. I really hope no one is watching, even though I wouldn't mind a helping hand as I huff and I wallow and I manage to attain a semi-squat. Actually, it's more a skewed squat because one knee bends much better than the other. I like to think of it as my birth knee. The other, a replacement, is an adopted knee. It's okay, it's just not real. At least in this skewed squat, I have my back off the cold ground, but the skis themselves are tangled in such a way on the ground that I can't get a purchase on gravity. Or maybe, maybe it's that gravity has too much of a purchase on me. I've often speculated that death is really a matter of gravity finally winning. That's why we bury, or traditionally bury, the departed in the ground in acknowledgement of that, that inescapable force. But this is ridiculous. Uh, this musing is morbid, especially considering where I am. I cannot maintain my skewed squat and I slowly slip back into the snow Actually, I sprawl back into the snow. I take a couple of deep yoga breaths. And I stare up at the bright blue, almost cloudless sky while I consider the options of how to write myself. That's a funny concept, writing oneself, like, like a boat. You don't usually hear it used in the second person. Maybe, maybe only you can make yourself write. It's an agency thing. Enough, enough, I tell myself. This should not be so hard. After all, self, you're a trained gymnast. Yeah, 50 years ago, says a less kind voice. But the body doesn't forget, does it? I wonder. The cold is beginning to seep into my shoulders. I knew I should have put on that second sweater. And I've got to get back up. I mean... I don't know anyone in this graveyard, although I visited frequently. I don't own a plot here. Long ago, I decided I probably would not have a romantic death, maybe a bad infection from an ingrown toenail or something like that. Even so, I do not think I want my demise to read, they found her frozen in her skis in the South Street Cemetery. The humiliating image of needing to yell out loud, help, I've fallen and I can't get up, finally propels me to untangle the cat's cradle by sky skis are sketching both in the air and in the snow and get them parallel and placed to my side in such a manner that with a little more huffing and wallowing and energy, I pull myself to a rickety standing position. And uh, I make it successfully to the bottom of that little slope. 
without hitting a tombstone. And I ski on, at least I try to. But I'm having trouble with the left arm, right leg, right arm, left leg coordination, and with the balance, and with the small slopes. I manage one, one short but respectable loop of the lower part of the cemetery, stopping frequently to read the names of residents and when they moved in, feeling just a little superior that I am not yet among them. Back near my car, I pop off the skis, much easier than getting them on, and I take a long walk down a plowed, sanded, and flat road. Maybe I'll try again next week, but then this snow may melt. Maybe I'll try again next winter. Maybe not. <laughs> Thank you, Kathy. Um, that actually sounded extremely athletic the way you described it. Maybe it was a blundering athleticism, but nonetheless, I've, I felt you as an athlete in the snow. Okay, next up, we have Jackson Gilman from Onset, Massachusetts. He's toured throughout the country performing songs, comedy, and stories over 40 years. But that doesn't mean he's old, folks, because Jackson is my contemporary. We've crossed paths over many years. <laughs> um, he was inducted into the National Storytelling Network's Circle of Excellence and received their Oracle Award. Yes. He's taught storytelling at Colby College and is often tapped by colleagues for private coaching. About the story he will tell us tonight, Jackson says, during gap year travels, my daughter and I visited the Japanese gardens in Golden Gate Park. There, bad math plus bad parental modeling added up to a good story. Let's find out what it is. Jackson, <laughs> come on up and tell us. Okay, well, as parents, we do our best to model for our children. Sometimes we do okay, sometimes we fall short. Well, my father basically did a really good job modeling on a lot of fronts. And I'll just give you one illustration of that. Uh, we were as a group of Cub Scouts and he was driving a station wagon full of them and I to Colonial Williamsburg. And we were excited as we approached the entry booth because we knew what the deal was. They were going to charge you as you drive in, looking in the car, seeing how many people are in there, and you're charged accordingly. So, the smallest one of us is squirreled underneath all the luggage completely out of sight. And it's hard to imagine that someone was actually smaller than I was when I was a kid, but there, David Oscar was smaller, so he was the, <laughs> the stuffy, the one who was stuffed under there. And so my dad drove up to the booth. He knew how much to pay for the right number of people, and that's what he paid the attendant. And the attendant was trying to give him change, and he just kind of like waved him off and smiled and, and drove in. And I was glad I was not the one who was hidden because I got to witness that. No one else did, but not only did it serve as a model of integrity for me, but I realized he did it in such a way that he didn't spoil our fun. 
No one knew but me. So I had a chance to model for my daughter. We're going to fast forward 50 some years later. And my daughter's name is Julian Estelle. And uh, when she was a little girl, she developed her own lexicon for all kinds of things. It was amazing. You know, she, when she wanted to be breastfed, she would say, nummy, nummy. And when she wanted, uh, later when she wanted a glass of milk, that was mocha gaga. Um, if she needed help putting something together or we got frustrated with the project, she'd say, ABK, ABK, ABK. We never <laughs> could decipher what ABK stood for, but we knew exactly that it was a call for help. And uh, anytime there was any sort of mishap, like she'd be in a high chair and she'd drop something, she would say, Boopadiddy, uh, can you get that for me, Daddy? Yeah, sure, I'd pick it up and give it to her. And if she spilled something, she'd go, Oh, oopadiddy, can you clean it up for me, Daddy? No problem, I'd clean it up for her. Uh, if she um, had trouble putting some together and if it wasn't coming apart, she'd go, Oh, diddy, can you fix that for me, Daddy? Daddy could seem to fix everything. And there was nothing to, you know, get bent out of shape about. Well, uh, once in a while she would break something of mine, you know, irreplaceable, irreparable, uh, and I'd be inclined to like rage, but I couldn't because she'd go, uh, whoop -a -dee -dee. <laughs> So that phrase lasted all growing up, um, and it became a catchphrase for the whole family when something went wrong. And it also kind of distilled a, a philosophy of hers about life. There was nothing, don't sweat the small stuff, you know? And dad can fix everything, you know, <laughs> or whatever. So anyhow, oopadiddy was uh, common in our family. So we had an opportunity to travel together. It was before her college year. And I really wanted to introduce her to some of my California friends, including some trees in Muir Woods. And I, I had a whole bunch of places I wanted to share with her. And then we had a day that we could spend in Golden Gate Park. And I was going to let her decide, you know, what we wanted to do together. And she decided we wanted to go to the Japanese gardens. We're all into, we're both into this idea. So we go there, uh, anticipating we're just going to waltz in and, you know, look around. But uh, we weren't aware that that's not how it worked there. You, you have to, um, there's scheduled tours and you pay to get in and when we saw the amount it was it was more than we expected and we weren't sure whether he quite wanted to do this or not you know he conferred a little bit and, and Jillian said um hey dad you know I noticed um you know for students 17 and under or seniors 65 and over it's a lot cheaper and you know we're each only one year off so maybe so I thought, you know, well, she's got, I was kind of surprised at her idea, but, you know, here's my chance to, you know, be a, try and be a good dad, you know. Did, did I want to spoil her fun or did I want to model integrity? And I, well, the ball's in my court. So um, I go up to the booth and there's a distinguished older gentleman there. Uh, and I say, um, there'll be one student and one senior. 
and he looks a little skeptical and he looks at my daughter and says, um, and, and what year were you born? And I was really curious how she was going to answer because um, I didn't know whether she had ever, you know, tried to get into a bar underage and lied about her age. But if she did, she'd be prepared for that question. Um, and it's really telling how someone answers that question. If there's a little bit of furtive glance or there's like a, a telltale pause, it's, it's a dead giveaway that you're lying. So I, I, was gonna, I was interested how she was, whether it was going to be that little beat. And no, right away. And I wasn't that sure. I knew she would she could figure this out because she was always good at math and she was born in the year 2000. How's her, how car could it be? So she adjusts on the fly right away one year the wrong way and says 1999. And the guy looks at her and says, that doesn't make you 17. Oopity. And if she had said, ABK, I would have said, I'm sorry, honey, I can't fix that one for you. Man, you walked into, oh, gee, and I cannot believe how stupid she was. I mean, she's been out of school for just a few months. All her math skills went right out the window. I thought, gee. So I know what's coming next, and I'm a terrible liar, but I'm not going to have to because in my pocket, I'm digging for my wallet, and inside I know there's a senior pass for the national parks because I'm in Acadia National Park a lot of times. I was got it when I was only 62. So even though I'm not 65 yet, I've got a thing that says I'm a senior, and I'm taking it out. I'm just going to flash it at him, you know, get by here. But it's taken me so long to find the damn thing that he says, and, and, and you're a senior. And I go, yeah, yeah, and, and, and what year were you born? And I... And, you know, I'm not going to make the same mistake. She went the wrong that way. So I'm going to go the other way, which wasn't the way to go. <laughs> and I quickly say, you know, 1955. And he says, that doesn't make you 65. I say, yes, it does. It doesn't? Like, it <laughs> ABK. And he looks at us and he says, I'm sorry, that will be two adults. <laughs> we don't feel, we, I pay it, but we do not feel like adults because we're looking at each other and we're just, we're just practically peeing in our pants laughing. And, and we just have to compose ourselves, you know, just, you know, pay the guy the money. We're adults. We're waiting for the tour to start. And there's a docent and a whole bunch of group, you know, people there doing this kind of, you know, formal tour. And we're terrible participants because every, anytime we even glance at each other, we're like, <laughs> splitting the gut. We have to go into the bushes for a while. Just go <laughs> until we can recover and come back. And <laughs> Oh, the whole hour during that tour, we were like losing it. And finally it was over and we're leaving and we have to go by the booth, right? And I say, Jillian, now, let's talk to the guy before we go. And he goes, she goes, no, 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 don't do that. I said, no, I, I think this will be fun. I said, no, 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 please don't, no, 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 no just trust me on this. Like, I'm trying. Uh, so I, I engage the guy and tell him, you know, our side of the story. And he's like, 
You guys are so bad at this. We're la all three of us are really enjoying this story. We're, we're, we're having a great time. And so, you know, I, I failed at modeling integrity for my daughter, but I don't regret it for a minute because we really bonded during that, you know, uh, during that. And, and we, every time we think about it, still, we laugh. And, you know, and it gave me this story to share on a blundery evening like we're having tonight. And in terms of, you know, trying to fix things, you know, at that point, talking with a guy and sharing a laugh and sharing the stories with him and, well, that was the best fix that this daddy could do at that point in terms of that particular whoop a dee, -dee. <laughs> Good one, Jackson. <laughs> Actually, that kind, of, that kind of laughter that's unplanned, that's going to, you and your daughter and your family will carry your whole life. I mean, how much money was that worth? I bet a way more than what you, the fee that you paid to get in there. <laughs> Thanks. Alrighty, um, now we've got a little bit of time to go into the Q&A. And, &A. and uh, so I guess I will look through it and kind of see if, if somebody has a question that they want to ask. I'm not too good at this because Amy always does this. Um, and uh, we've got like, too bad the professor wasn't so cool, Beth. And um, wanted to know, did you retake the test, Beth? Or was that just like in your record? You'll have to unmute yourself to respond. Um. No, I didn't get to retake the test, but um, thankfully the professor felt bad for me or something and he gave me a C, so. <laughs> oh, well, do you still play the trumpet? Uh, no, but I think about doing it sometimes. You have to uh, do it all the time and I'm just not as good as I used to be, so someday. Yeah. The leftist marching band will be reforming consider yes. it. <laughs> um, and uh, all right, so they wanted to know if you do drum corps. Drum corps? Isn't that like a band? It is like band. It's like a marching band, but it's yeah. like a little bit more precise and I never did. Yeah. It looked okay. fun. All right, let's see. We've got, <laughs> you've got a, um, somebody wants to let you know Kathy, that uh, you can oil ski bindings and then it's easier to put your skis on and take them off. Only if you thought of that in advance. And, um, oh, this is a good one. I kind of wondered about this. For Kathy, did you find spiders in your shoes? <laughs> um, so Kathy, you can unmute and let us know. No. No, no. spiders? They had been in the barn a long time and I hadn't shaken them out when I put them in the hall. So I looked, but no, I didn't find any. No. Well, I had a downhill ski boot incident. Um, that was probably worse than spiders because it'd been a few years and I got my boots out in the ski lodge and I was about to put them on and a mouse had found them or maybe more than one. So I was dumping out mouse poop in the ski <laughs> lodge. That was very unattractive. And probably unhealthy. Um, it was pre-COVID, so nobody really, you know, 
but there are a couple of older men, older men that are probably younger than I am now. They've got a kick out of it. <sighs> yeah, anything for a laugh. Entertain the fellas. Um, yeah, that, people are commenting that they really felt like uh, they were with you in, in that graveyard. Somebody used the word swishing, swishing down the trail. Swishing. <laughs> yeah, that was it. That, that was good. Yeah, you, you had some good physical action going there. Thank you. Thank you. And I was rather fond of adopted body parts. My I'm adopted gonna, this one. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to keep that in mind. I think that um, as opposed to your, your birth parts, yeah. I haven't got any adopted ones, but they're coming. Um, and the... <laughs> right. Thank you. I'm just looking for... Oh... Names of residents and when they moved in. Do you remember who was there? I think Frank Jones is in the South Cemetery and has a, a obelisk kind of thing there. And if so, I must have if that would he if he is there. I think he's in the lower end where I was. Okay, it's, it's, a, it's a cemetery in Portsmouth. It's very big. It's very nice. Robin McLean and I used to walk our dogs there a lot. Well, she yeah. wants to ski with you next year. As yeah. I'm well, sure. Robin's a pro, so I should go skiing with her. Yeah, <laughs> she'll have her lead and show you the ropes, and she can help when you fall over, you know? Right. It's safer with double team it. You, they can tip over. Robin grew up on skis, so. But downhill, not, not the case. Yeah, that was <laughs> nicely uh, shown. Um, and <laughs> so, no, I didn't, I didn't notice, I don't, I didn't retain any of the names. It was more, I actually like that in a cemetery. Anyone here? I mean, you, you, you always want to read and always want to see when they died and usually figure out the age if it's not written there. And then you start putting together with other stones and, oh my gosh, this is the mother of that baby. And, you know, right. Yeah. The little babies are sort of always stitch yeah. things together. In a way, I'm getting less and less interested in that. <laughs> the older I get. <laughs> it's not the kind of entertainment we're looking for anymore. No, no too close. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Beth, somebody wants to know, do you ever eat cream of wheat now? <laughs> or did you give up on that? Um, I have not eaten cream of wheat once since that time. It is so yeah. gross. <laughs> <laughs> Try oatmeal. That's not bad. Put dates I in don't it. know what possessed me to go that route, but I don't know. And they want to know if you're still in touch with Lori. Uh, yeah, we're, I haven't seen her in a long time, but uh, friends on social media. Yeah, that's true. Right. Yeah. Um, do you have music in your life at all anymore, or you've gone pretty much to the storytelling and writing and words? Um, well, I like to make the joke that it took music school to discover that I didn't want to be, be a musician. Um, so uh, I don't play a ton. I kind of play a couple things badly uh, and I'm okay with that. Um, and then my daughter, uh, we're trying to pass on the music to my my kids and my daughter plays piano. Yep. Mothers love daughters to play piano. My mother lo loved it. 
but I, I did. <laughs> but wait until she's in junior high and starts kicking it. That's what I did. Dun, 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 dun. It's like, all right, already. You don't have to practice anymore. All right, already. You can stop. <laughs> but I wish I'd continued at this point. That's uh, so the way it is with mothers and daughters. Um, Kathy, how about spring and summer exercises? Are you planning to do some of that with less gear? <laughs> well, I try not, I try to make sure no one's around when I'm getting up from the gardening. <laughs> uh, yes, same problem, <laughs> I huh? Do, I do What's a lot of gardening. Um, and uh, bicycling a little bit. I'll bicycle down to the Seacoast Repertory Theater to Usher, that kind of thing. I learned my lesson. It's really easy to get a ticket downtown now in Portsmouth. So, um, mm, yeah, uh, it is. Uh, I, you know, it's the eating I need to change, really. <laughs> so. No, no, just bike more. Just, you know, <laughs> keep on pedaling. It'll be good for you. And, you know, those pounds will just melt away. Um, Jackson, somebody wants to know if you have returned to um, that original place with your daughter where you had the magnificent oop-but-ditty <laughs> memories. That was only two years ago, so we haven't been oh. much traveling in the meantime. Oh, okay. Cool. All right. What was the place? I, I could, I missed the Japanese gardens, is that it? In Golden Gate Park. But Kathy, I loved your expression about the gravity getting a purchase on you. <laughs> And, and that, that's a theory of why we bury ourselves. So like, <laughs> I've thought that for a long time. It's easy to go off on those kind of thinking tangents when you're facing a problem you aren't quite sure how you're going to resolve. You just, <laughs> at least I do. Um, John, you said you have a quick story about snowshoes and a forest ranger. Yeah, I, I um, Kathy, you brought back some very uh, mixed memories. Uh, when I was about oh, maybe 60, um, 55 to 60, I got a set of snowshoes, figured I was going to be great. And my wife and I, we, we went up to the Kangamangas Highway in the middle of the winter, and we started going up this trail. And I was not aware of such things as uh, right near spruce trees, uh, the snow could be very, very, very deep, and there could be a pocket and there was a trail and I was hiking up the trail and down the trail comes a forest ranger. I could see him coming down the trail. So I stepped aside so he could go by and I went into one of those holes and I went right up to the, my neck in the hole and I'm sitting in the, in the snow up to my neck. And he looked down and he said, you need any help? I said, no, I do this all the time for practice. And he said, you sure? And I said, okay. And he walked off and my wife helped me get out of the hole. I could have gone out of sight. Totally, but he just looked at me and said, you need any help? I said, no, I'm, I do this all the time. That's my story. <laughs> well, I, I think I see Gail uh, Luciadello here, and, and she needs to come to the defense of Ford, forest rangers, right, Gail? She was one. That's not good forest ranger behavior for sure. Um. So let's see, Jackson, do you think that it may be possible that you did in your way model integrity 
because just like your dad turns out you can't lie <laughs> or is it just you wanted to lie it was the bad math <laughs> well i i I, against her protests, uh, sharing the story with the gatekeeper, really, I felt redeemed myself because uh, he enjoyed it. We all enjoyed it. And it kind of healed the uh, embarrassment and it, it just added to the story. Yeah, I almost um, felt like he might have given you one of the ticket prices back or said, oh, that was definitely worth here. Here's <laughs> that, you know, have yourself a fine day. You made my day. Something like that, you know? <laughs> that would have been nice. <laughs> my yeah. dreams. Um, I've got to ask John a little bit about timing because I'm not, um, I'm new to when I'm supposed to kind of end the chat and I'm not sure if we have more time, John. Have you get a better idea? Uh, we have about four minutes before we do the dance. And then we'll, right. turn it, we'll turn it over to David. All right, well, my outro takes a little bit of time. Yep, that's, well, the outro we play after David is uh, the, the, uh, two, the one minute, 16 seconds. Okay, <laughs> I wish Amy was here. I'm just wondering, um, do, when I tell, folks about signing up for the fall is that before the dance party yes or? yes okay so that's the part i'm talking about so maybe i should go into that now yes okay all right then here we go it's it's the official outro i want to thank everyone for being with us tonight especially the tellers and our live audience we are soon to move to the backstory interview with David Trainer, where he's going to be talking, having a conversation, and uh, more questions answered with Jackson Gilman. But first, I want to tell you that our next True Tales Live Zoom show is on Tuesday, June 29th, 7 p.m. It will be our second featured teller show with Amy Antonucci sharing the stories about taking care of her dad. So you can go to True Tales livenh.org to find the link to register. It's going to be a good show. Amy's been working on stories about her dad for many years and, and we, we love them both. And it's a good thing she got a shot today. So she's going to be good um, next month. And then uh, we'll have a, a, a summer break after that June show and then come back in September. Um, we're taking signups for tellers for the fall before signing up, we encourage you to attend one of our monthly workshops on Zoom from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Uh, the next one coming up on June 1st, and they, I believe, will continue through the summer. We will have workshops in July and August, as well as September, even though we won't have a show in July and August. Um, so the workshops, you can get feedback on your story and you can practice telling on Zoom, which is different. Contact us at info at truetaleslivenh.org to become a teller and find out more. And then uh, you can always get the link at our website, truetaleslivenh.org, without the info part. Um, and you can register that way too. 
Watch us on Portsmouth Public Media TV, Comcast Channel 98, Tuesdays and Thursdays at 8 p.m. and Saturdays at 1 p.m. and anytime as video on demand or podcasts. Just go to the website, truetalesliveNH.org to easily access all of those. Um, so now let's take some time to thank those who made this show possible. John Lovering, woot, woot, woot. David Frainer, Sarah Bettingfield, Sam Adams, Kamisha Foley, and Amy Antonucci, who's unable to be with us tonight, but hope she's feeling better soon. I'm Pat Spaulding. And before we moved to the backstory, 15-minute interview with Jackson Gilman, please join us for a minute of movement and fun. You can stretch a little bit with our True Tales dance party. <laughs> We've been having a good time with this, and we hope that you have your video and will move at least a little bit, even a head nod. But if you uh, get up and move around, then you do the dual job of getting stretched and feeling better. And um, it makes us look like we're having more fun. So how about it, John? 